It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. One thing that has been coming up a lot is the concept of motivation. Whitney and I have spent a lot of time on this new app called Clubhouse, which we've talked about in previous episodes and something that we continue to dive deeper into. And one thing that's come up a lot is, I suppose, how motivational speakers slash entrepreneurs slash business leaders are seemingly dominating this platform. With some feedback we received last night, where we moderated a room about elevating your wellness. And it was such a magical experience as an aside of going into a room thinking it was going to be one thing. And then all of a sudden, our dear friend and previous guest, Max Goldberg, was in the room with us and he pinged some other people into the room and it morphed and evolved and changed into this two and a half hour experience where we've created this. (laughs) I suppose we could tell them now, Whitney, before we dive into the idea of motivation. Whitney ideated this really fantastic concept that is a play on Shark Tank, but it's called Dolphin Tank. And so every Wednesday, if you, dear listener, are on Clubhouse or want to get on Clubhouse or are looking to receive an invite to Clubhouse, and you are in the wellness, health, food industry, and you are involved in the business of that in some kind as either an influencer or a brand or a consumer packaged good or media, a buyer, whatever it is, we have this new thing that we're doing on Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. called Dolphin Tank where we're getting people together from the wellness industry. So if you're interested in that and you want to learn more, you can always shoot us a direct email to Whitney and myself. It's hello at wellevator.com. We also have it up on our website now. So you can go directly to the link, which will be in the show notes of this episode. There's a page where you can sign up for notifications and be alerted when we have these new events, which is a little bit easier to manage than going into Clubhouse because I have found it really challenging to keep track of events. So I made an add to calendar button that you can click after you enter in your email and you can put it right on your calendar and come join us. And uh, I'm so excited about this, Jason. I'm glad that you brought it up. And uh, shout out to our our new friend, Greg, who really gave us the inspiration for for the format and the name. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, going back to this, Whitney, it was interesting to get Not only Greg's feedback, but also a few other people. Last night, I was sort of mentally just tracking some of the comments when people were in the room with us. And it it really does seem that this app in particular is just flooded and dominated with people who are sort of in that life coach, you know, money mentor, you know, TEDx speaker type of person. And I, I think it's really interesting to see how many rooms, at least I've seen, are talking about making money, scaling your business, 10xing your business, where to find motivation. These these subjects seem to be just coming up ad nauseum on this platform. And, and I'm not slagging it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I'm sort of starting to see that it's attracting a certain type of person that is in that mindset of, I'm not even sure what to what to call it. You know, it's really hard to describe this. But in some of the rooms that you and I have been in, I've, I've felt really kind of exhausted by some of the rhetoric I've heard. And it, it, it feels to me like in a lot of cases, not all, but a lot of cases, it feels kind of very transactional. And a lot of the same kind of tropes are being recycled over and over again. And I get very bored and very 
frustrated and tired listening to the same kind of stuff over and over again. And I think I wanted to hone in on, on motivation as a jump off point because I see a little, a lot of people on there being motivated by making more money, by scaling their businesses, by 10xing their businesses. And when you see people like, you know, Grant Cardone, for example, in a room and you see all these people wanting to kind of get advice from him, it's just made me reflect on, I guess, my motivations moving forward, not just with business, but in life. And this is also kind of piggybacking on the fact that I finally, finally after, God, over a month of you and Adam and other people telling me about it, I finally watched the movie Soul on Disney+. Plus. And without giving away too many spoilers for you, dear listener, first of all, it's a phenomenal movie. Absolutely phenomenal. It's so heartfelt, so funny, so deep, and and just beautifully written. Beautifully done, beautifully written. So I highly, highly encourage you to watch this movie, dear listener, if you have not done so yet. But I think this this idea, Whitney, of the idea of purpose, the idea of one's spark, the idea of motivation is so, sort of all this coalescing conversation in my heart and my mind lately. And I'm I'm realizing that a lot of the things that used to motivate me, I don't feel motivated by anymore. And I've told you many, many times offline that I feel a little bit lost right now because I think a lot of the things that I was motivated by, I just don't feel in my heart that I want to chase anymore. And I don't feel like they're sustainable motivations. And this particular term is something that I, I've been just really sitting with a lot lately of, of what is a sustainable motivation? What does that mean? Because I think for a long time, whether it was you know my journaling or... I recently, and I think casually mentioned that I destroyed my vision board after doing it for about 12 or 13 years. And I don't have one for the new year and I don't intend on making one because I realized that for me, I was feeling really motivated, Whitney, by this idea that getting material things by getting you know this particular house, this particular car, this particular status in society or in our industry was the thing that was going to finally make me fulfilled. And I see a lot of people chasing those things. And I almost on one hand want to share my experience more because there's a part of me that wants to tell people like, this isn't a sustainable motivation. You're going to chase that money and you're going to get the money and you're just going to want more and you're going to get to six figures and seven figures. That's not going to feel enough. Then you're going to want eight figures and nine figures. And I I feel like I want to shake people and be like, this is not going to lead you somewhere that is going to be satisfying. You think it is. And maybe that's just me transposing my particular life experience, but I just feel concerned about people when I see this this desperate, unyielding, fervent chase for money and success and titles. And I think Clubhouse triggers me sometimes, Whitney, is what I'm trying to say in, in terms of seeing what people are motivated by. Cause I don't feel I don't feel like greatly motivated by those things anymore. And I'm curious what you're observing, because you, you spend actually more time on there than I do. And using Clubhouse as sort of a, a microcosm of what's going on with social media and society. I don't know. I feel turned off a lot by it because I just see like people, you know, chasing the money. And I, I just don't feel like super motivated by that the way I used to be. I think this is such an important thing to discuss because I reflect on this a lot too. You know, I think that each of us understand that money is important to life because we need it to survive in most cases. I suppose we could come up with a whole bartering system if we really wanted to. Like Burning Man. Like Burning Man. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I think that some societies have perhaps found ways to to work in, in exchange for each other. And I think that's wonderful because what's tricky for me about the money side of it is it puts you into places like status. And, and this could happen, I suppose, even in like a bartering system, right? Like status has been part of our history for so long. We talked a little bit about this with Chris Gillibo because at the time we recorded with him in 2020, I had read this book called... Gosh, I feel like it was called status anxiety, but now I'm not sure. I'll 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 go back and put it into our show notes once I remember the name of this book. But it was the history of of status and why it just played such a big role in our lives. So it's nothing new. This this kind of hierarchy that we develop, I, I think that's part of human society. So I'm, I'm not sure that we can escape it, and I think that that's part of. Part of the trigger there is that money is a really quick way for us to feel more or less important. Money is a way for us to get what we want or not be able to get what it is. Like money is a way that we oftentimes define our worth. Speaking of Clubhouse, I was on a room today listening to some women talk about how to set your rates and how to ask for what you're worth. And it's such an interesting conversation because a lot of people struggle with that myself included you know almost every single time i get a new client i have this moment of pause like what the heck am i going to charge and it's still perplexing to me because i've been doing my work for so long you'd think that i would know but i doubt myself so much and that doubt gets in the way i don't doubt my ability to coach or consult to work with people like i'm very confident in that but where i doubt is connected to like, is somebody going to see my worth and pay the, the amount of money that I would like? And then how do you even really determine this? This is something that people have asked me a lot in my coaching practice and training, especially when I was really focused on helping content creators with monetization, which was a big part of my work for many years. I taught a lot of classes and, and had a membership and tr group training programs and one-on-one -on -one coaching all around helping creators monetize. And that's still a little bit of the work that I do because I like supporting people with money, right? But the most common question that I would receive is, what do I charge for this? And the answer frankly, is there's no set charge or rate for anything, you know, like pretty much any job, any skill, there is a range. And that range depends on so many different factors. And I personally get really caught up in that range. I'm like, well, like I certainly could charge on the high end, but my fear is often, will somebody A, be able to like literally financially able to pay me or B, do they see enough of my worth? One thing that was brought up by this amazing woman, Natalie, who was running the clubhouse room I mentioned earlier, I actually, we're, we're hoping to have her as a guest on our show because she's so knowledgeable and passionate about this. She brought up this great point, Jason, that I thought was really interesting was that you're not charging someone based on where they are now. You're charging them based on where you're going to bring them as a result of your products or services. And I thought that is such a brilliant mentality because... A lot of people get caught up in this, like, oh, I don't have the money right now, so I'm afraid to pay somebody for this, right? But oftentimes, you and I have done this too, Jason, like when we've enrolled in coaching programs or, you know, gone to coaching events or, you know, whatever we've done to invest ourselves as business owners, it sometimes feels like a financial stretch. But the reason we pay that money is because we are 
looking to get the results. And sometimes spending money on things helps us get results because we're more motivated. But at the same time, no matter how many times I've gone through this process, it's still a challenge for me. And I think, Jason, part of this is because I don't want somebody to feel like money is getting in the way of what they need. And that's where I think like going back to your feelings about how people talk about money on platforms like Clubhouse, there's a lot of discussion around like, well, you can charge this much money and you can make this much money. But I am often looking at my work from the individual level. With each person that I'm working with, I'm thinking about them. I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking like, okay, who is this person? Where are they at? How can I help them? And what would I like to charge versus like what is really accessible for this person? And I think that needs to be brought into this conversation more often. We've all been in a place where we have wanted or needed something and felt like it was out of reach for us financially. And that's an awful feeling. I don't want to be responsible for someone feeling that way. But the trickiest part of that is if you lower your rates too much, somebody doesn't feel you val- find you valuable, right? So it's that ongoing battle of what is that perfect rate for this person? I haven't fully figured that out for myself. I'm not at a point where I just want to have a flat rate for everybody and it's either you can pay it or you can't. If somebody can't pay some me what I'm charging, I'm always happy to discuss with them to try to make it work. And when I open up in that way, Jason, a lot of people are willing to have a discussion to find something that work, right? And sometimes that even leads people to realize that they have more financial flexibility than they realize. It's just when they see a price tag, it can be really scary. So the psychology around money is really interesting too because, you know, when you get excited about something and you see the price point, sometimes the price like completely blocks your brain and you're like, "Oh, I can't afford it. I'm not buying it or paying for the service," right? So the whole like psychology of how you talk about money with someone is is an ongoing interest of mine. Yeah, the thing that I've observed that I've tried to incorporate into my I suppose pricing structure business model is a sliding scale in the sense that I have the upper end of my rate and then I have a rate that I know I'm not going to go below, you know, and I've seen this with friends and therapists that I've worked with. I've seen it in terms of, you know, fitness classes. I've actually done this also with clients and people I've worked with, with too, Whitney, is, is that I have a rate that if people don't question or feel fearful of the rate, then okay, you can afford the highest rate. But if people are concerned, then I, I've incorporated the idea of this sliding scale. And I've seen that, you know, in many cases be really effective. And in some cases, people just have a mentality that they can find whatever they feel like they need on the internet for free. That's a comment that I've received in different forms over the years is like, I mean, I could hire you or like, don't they have like YouTube videos on this? I'm like, in a general sense, yeah, there are probably YouTube videos about this and there are books you can read. But I think the whole reason of of working with, say, a coach, a fitness trainer, a mentor, etc., is you get a level of hopefully personal touch and personal connection, and then you also get accountability. A YouTube video doesn't give you accountability. A book doesn't give you accountability. A course, depending on how it's structured, might give you some level of accountability depending on how the community operates. But I think, to me, one of the reasons that I have worked with people one-on-one, mentorships, coaches, courses, Whitney, is that 
there is that human element of accountability and direct connection. Hopefully, you know, I can actually have this person, you know, one-on-one, either on a call once a week or twice a week, whatever it is. And I think that's the thing is, is I'm ultimately realizing that sometimes when I get on a call to discuss working with someone, I really want to make sure that the energy and the personality feels good. Because and this is sort of taking a, a, a hard right turn from motivation, but I think it's important to discuss that I have said yes to contracts with clients and business deals and working with brands in the past, some of which you know, that there was something in my gut that said, I don't know if you're really going to, if this is going to really like be a good fit, but I said yes anyway because of the money. And ended up getting into that relationship and realizing that I did not really like working with that person or that team and getting into it and thinking you should listen to your gut. And it's interesting because I think it's tempting when we have someone who wants to work with us, whether that's a brand or a client or a business collaboration, and there's a certain price tag on it or a certain amount of rate that we're getting and we get excited about it. We get enraptured with the idea of this dollar sign that it's attached to the project or the, or the client. And what I'm trying to do a better job of is really pay attention to the energy and the feeling of the relationship when I speak to this person. And oftentimes, I don't think it's one phone call. Oftentimes, I like to get on multiple phone calls and, and really talk through things with a person. Because if there's any hit that I get intuitively in my gut that this person's going to be really difficult, really challenging, super high maintenance, a pain in the ass. I kind of just, I want to be better at saying no to those things, you know? And I'm curious, you know, in what you're doing, and obviously we do things with Wellvader together and we have our individual businesses. If you've had any any lessons like that, where your gut or your intuition was saying, "Mm, you might want to think twice and you said yes anyway, and then realize later on, you should have listened to your gut. Do you have any things that come up for you in that regard? Yeah, it's interesting because In this moment, immediately coming to mind, I actually had the opposite experience recently, Jason, because I had this one client who was taking a really long time to onboard. He was interested in working with me. We had a great first call. I sent him an email and it was like back and forth emails for a long time. And I remember thinking, I don't know if this is a good fit. This is not feeling right But there was some part of me that was saying, that was questioning those feelings because I wasn't clear, was it the process that was triggering me or was it like an intuitive hit? And so I kept exploring it and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep going through this because I'm not sure yet and I'm going to use it as an opportunity to learn from this. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get more clear in my on my website. Like that's an ongoing thing. Oh my gosh, like almost every single day I feel I'm thinking of new ways to talk about myself, my work and also ours, you know. I I work on our websites for Wellevator and our podcast pretty frequently because the more that you speak with people, the more that you get information and understand how you're showing up and your opportunities for clarity. And with this client, he needed a lot of clarity, more than I've ever experienced before. And while I was frustrated in the beginning, I recognized that I could use that as a way to be very clear for future clients. I thought, all right, I'm going to keep going through this onboarding or this exploration to see if he's going to become a client. And at the very least, I've got really great questions to answer on my website now. 
And I'm really glad I went through that because he actually did end up being a client, Jason, and he's phenomenal. I love working with him. It was just that he needed some help from a, a security standpoint. And I think part of that was because it was a big decision for his business and it was a, a fairly large financial investment for him. And once I understood where he was kind of struggling, I could see how I could support him more. And I was glad that I didn't like have that knee jerk reaction of this guy's too much work. Like he's not going to be good for me. I was wrong about that. And that was really humbling. I also had a similar experience with a sponsored opportunity I had for my brand Eco Vegan Gal. I had this company that just felt like it was taking so long to come to an agreement and it was so in depth. And I was like, I don't know if this is worth the money. I don't really want to do this. And I almost turned down the opportunity. But for some reason, I decided to push forward. I did it. And it actually ended up being a phenomenal relationship that ultimately was worth it for me. And again, it was a great learning experience that helped me clarify how I work as an influencer, as a content creator. And I think that that's an interesting thing, Jason, because sometimes what feels like it's our intuition is actually like an old like triggered wound or frustration, or it's really specific to like what's going on that day. You know, each of us go through these waves of energy and motivation and clarity and burnout and all of these different roller coasters, <laughs> the ro- I should say the ongoing roller coaster of emotions as a business owner. And I'm not always right. My intuitive hits either aren't always accurate or what I perceive to be an intuitive hit is really just a different trigger that's appearing as if it's my intuition, if that makes sense. But how do you differentiate? That's my question. Because what, what you're saying is incredibly wise and incredibly insightful, Whitney, and I'm glad you brought brought that up. But I'm wondering from a very real somatic experience like in your body is it is it that you start to pay attention to how your body is giving you the signals you know to differentiate between a trigger and a trauma and intuition because you bring something up that's critically important to examine and i i'm wondering how how do you practice differentiating that well one thing that's really helpful is to try to step outside of myself and either journal about it more, take some extra time to reflect on it, and also talk to other people. As I've mentioned in at least one previous episode recently, I find it really beneficial to ask other people, like, what would you do in this situation? I'm trying to do a little less of that because in the past, I've leaned too much on that, too much on on not following what I know to be true. But I think this is part of the challenge, especially for someone like me, Jason, like my self-doubt comes from a lifetime of doubting myself, right? Um, And in terms of like those roots of not feeling like I have the right answers, questioning myself, am I good enough? Am I getting the validation that I want? Like it's just been so much of questioning. And as I've talked about before, my tendency is a questioner, which benefits me in some ways and holds me back. Sometimes I get way too stuck asking questions that I don't take action. And that's why I will turn to other people to try to get some feedback from their outside perspective. You know, a few episodes ago, we talked about a challenging situation I had been in with with an email I received that felt really harsh and critical and it triggered me. And I talked to a few people about it and got some great perspective because they weren't in it with me. So their emotions weren't attached. They could look at it from a more of a logical standpoint than from an emotional standpoint that I was in. 
So that really helps me a lot when I'm feeling confused. I think also learn strengthening that muscle of tapping into your intuition is a process that I haven't fully mastered yet, Jason. I mean, I'm just now getting back into meditation after ignoring it for a long time. And and part of my goal with meditation is to be able to tap into myself a little more effectively. And I think that I spend so much time in the external world that I could benefit from, from practicing honing in on the internal so that it's easier to make these decisions. Throughout my life, I've struggled a lot with making decisions. And you know that goes hand in hand with that self-doubt. It's like, I could do this or that, and I'm doubting my ability to make a decision, so I'm going to ask somebody else to make a decision for me. Now, that is effective. However, you're constantly dependent on other people in that case. I think that was part of, of my childhood. It was like feeling dependent on other people, not trusting my internal compass, having other people guide me. And yet simultaneously, I thrive in leadership environments. I'm very good at helping other people make decisions. I'm really good at leading groups. But when it comes to making my own personal decisions, that's where I'm really weak. And it's just a muscle I think you have to practice. You know, it's like, all right, um, I'm going to ask other people for some perspective on this. And simultaneously, I need to do a lot more tapping in to see like, what is it that I want to do? And perhaps it's it's switching the steps around. Like before I ask other people for perspective and, you know, what would they do in this situation? Their kind of opinions on it. First, it's important to go inward and reflect and say like, all right, what am I feeling? What do I think I want to do here? What feels good to me in this moment and why? Not sitting in a place of unknown, not allowing myself to go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. No, instead, it's like, what is it that I'm feeling? And sometimes it's literally writing that down. A lot of times you get great answers when you put things on paper or even digitally. Speaking it out loud to yourself can help too. And then once I've done that process, bringing that to somebody else, it kind of helps me figure things out. Plus, lastly, I would say, Jason, many of us know that when we go to somebody for advice, we're really hoping that they're going to say something. We're really going to hope that they're going to agree with something. If we go, hey, what do you think I should do here? There's part of us that's hoping that they're going to tell us to do option A versus option B. And I think when we're leaning towards, towards option A through that conversation, that's like our message, right? So sometimes just asking somebody else, you get answers before they even give them to you. But I'm wondering, like, is that failure mitigation? Is that some sort of system of sort of a this seeking of confirmation of I'm not crazy. What I actually want, I want you to reflect back to me so that you want what I want so that I can feel more safe and secure in the decision so that I may not fail. I mean, I'm, I'm curious with with asking other people, breaking it down in real time. Is it a component of validation seeking, approval seeking, or is it sort of like we're trying to hedge our bets against failure? That if we get enough consensus from the people we know, like, and trust in our lives, whether that's family, friends, or colleagues, that if we sort of build up enough unofficial survey results from talking to these people, then like, okay, I can hedge my bet. I can say yes to this thing and do this thing that I actually want to do. And now I feel confident because enough people I know, like, and trust are also saying to do it. And I'm curious, you know, what is it? Is it the validation and approval? Is it trying to inoculate ourselves against failure? Is it all of the above? I'm asking like in real time, what do you think it is in seeking out the advice and the approval from other people on a decision? 
Right. Well, I think it is part of that. And I, I, I don't know if I would say it's failure prevention necessarily, because nobody knows if we're going to fail at something. And somebody's opinion about what's failing versus what's succeeding can be very different. You know, like most of us are just fumbling our way through life and fumbling our way through business. And we're, we're constantly learning and tweaking. And, you know, we've seen incredible people like immediately that comes to mind is Marie Forleo. She made some choices during the Black Lives Movement in summer 2020 that we actually talked about on the show a bit. I mean, I think Marie Forleo is incredible. Like to me, she's like, got everything together. She's really financially successful. She's been talking about business, training people with business for many, many years. And yet Marie has made some mistakes here and there. Like That doesn't mean that she should be canceled. That's just showing that she doesn't always have the right answers. And maybe what she thought was best for the moment wasn't something that people agreed with her on, you know, like I've done that too plenty of times. Like you do something. I I mean, I I talked about this in that episode I referenced earlier, which was about my newest book, The Mindful Mug. I thought I was being really clear about the fact that the book wasn't done and it was in this kind of pre-order state. And I was trying to like set up people's expectations properly, but a great number of people were very confused with what I was doing. (laughs) And it was quite the learning experience because what I thought was going to be a success was not a success in other people's eyes, Jason. And so we can go and seek advice from other people and we can seek advice from ourselves and still feel like it didn't work feel like it was a failure, feel like we were fumbling. And those are all learning experiences within them. So ultimately, we can try to seek validation, but that validation doesn't guarantee we're not going to fail or fumble. I think there's also a component of this too. And I'm not by saying this, detecting that you do it, Whitney per se, although you might and I might not know about it. But I think that that there's there can be a tendency in human behavior to do what others tell us or acknowledge or validate us to do. And then if it doesn't work out or if we have a perceived failure or we fall short, then it's easy to go back to that person and say like, but you told me to do this, even though it was our, our idea in the first place. you know. And, and so it's almost as if in some cases, seeking out the approval and the opt-in from people in our lives too much gives us an out if we do fall short or fail to say like, well, everyone told me it was a good idea and sort of almost like placing blame or like shirking responsibility for our own actions because everyone else told us it was a good idea. You know, and and again, I'm not I don't detect that behavior in you being your friend as long as I have, but I think there there's a potential what's the right word? like a pitfall in that type of behavior. Do you know what I mean of well, everyone told me it was a good idea and I invested in this stock and I started this business and everyone told me I should, you know, make a cookie business and it sucked and it failed and everyone, you know, it it's sort of like what what I see a lot in our culture and, I, and I'm saying this because I, I see it a lot in myself and I'm really trying to undo this wit is blame mentality slash victim culture of, you know, we're in this struggle because the government doesn't take care of us because it's the the current president, it's the senators, it's this, it's that. And it's not to say that all of these forces and these institutions don't have an energetic effect on the world. Of course they do. But I think what I've seen in myself and I've seen a lot is people blaming and complaining about forces that are outside of themselves. And I want to be very, very careful here because I'm not to say that we have this sovereign reality 
and we're not affected by other people and other people's choices. Of course we are. I mean, the, the interconnectedness of this planet, I think, is more evident than ever, especially after the last year we've been through. But what I'm really mindful of, Whitney, is is making sure that I'm not blaming other people for my perceived failures or mistakes. And I think sometimes asking too many people what we should do potentially sets up a structure to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so, you know, ultimately, I, I want to loop back to what we started this conversation with, which was this idea of motivation and and how I'm detecting lately that I'm just not really, it's not that I'm not motivated by money. Of course, as you said, I want to live and breathe and and have freedom and feel feel comfortable. Here we are and this might get uncomfortable. Like, I want to feel comfortable. I do. And I think money is more of a vehicle to those feelings than it is anything else. You know, so when we talk about motivation and you know, I think for a long time I was definitely feeling motivated by looking at people in positions of success or fame or notoriety or influence because it was this idea that if I get over there and I have what they have, I'll feel better about myself. I mean, it's really really simple, right? Is that if if I look at this person as an avatar or a mentor or someone to look up to and I see what they have, what they are, what they do, then somehow I'll be more content and joyful and feel like my life has meaning and my life has been worth it. And I think it, it goes back to one of the big messages I got in the movie Soul, which again, I'm going to try not to share any spoiler alerts, but I, I think one of the big messages, Whitney, that I got from that is we so often have this idea that when we quote, make it, we get our big break, we get the huge opportunity we've been waiting for, for our entire lives, you know, that everything will change. Our lives will magically be different. We'll have this validation. We'll have this approval. We'll finally be seen in a certain light by our parents, by the public, by our contemporaries. And I think so many messages in that movie, I'm still just digesting days later because I realize how often in my career, in my life that I've chased the same thing. You know, the big thing for me is realizing that that mentality still motivates a ton of people. You know, of I just need that one big break. I just need to work with that one right person. If I could only work with Grant or Tony or Dean or Brendan or whoever it is, Charlene, you know, if I could just, if I could just like get in their DMs, if I could just get an email into them, if I could just find this one thing, that'll be my big break. Then it'll all be worth it. And holy shit, I think that mentality from my own perspective of having held on to some version of that for so long, Whitney. And I think part of my depression I'm going through is realizing how long I have held on to that mentality, which was so brilliantly showcased in this movie. One of the messages was you have this thing that you think is going to just make your entire life worth it. You just have to accomplish this one thing. And when you do, your life will be worth it. And I just see that this is a rampant mentality, not just in Hollywood where we live, but I think in general in the world, right? If I could just get this video to go viral, if I could just get a million followers, if I could just have this one thing to happen, then I finally I'll feel like my life was worth it. And I think that it's a dangerous mentality because it makes us dependent on this thing happening to make us feel like our lives are worthwhile. And if that thing doesn't happen for us or never happens, or maybe sometimes it does happen and you realize you don't feel that much different about your life. Like it was years and years and years of sweat and blood and pain and fear and struggle. And then the thing finally happens. And then you're on the other side of it and you're like, was that it? I think that sometimes can either be liberating, right? 
or it can be absolutely heartbreaking to realize you put that many years or decades into something and it finally happens and you're like, wow, this is it. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I think for a lot of people, that can, that can really, again, it can be a liberating thing or it can be something that, that makes people spiral mentally. Absolutely. And you're right. We see this so much. And I think it's because of this big drive to have status. And and it's almost weird too when you think about it, Jason. It's it's not only this desire to be acknowledged and recognized and validated, but it's like we cling on to other people because we're hoping that they will they'll drive us up to success. And like, gosh, I, I'll be the first to admit, I, I still think this way. It's a hard thing to untangle yourself from, don't you think? Like, I imagine that you probably think similar too, Jason. Like, that's a common thing, and it's like a mental habit that many of us have been programmed with. Uh, for most, if not all of our lives. Yeah, it's really challenging. It's challenging because it's this idea, if I just work with the right person, if I just, I mean, we could have so many examples. If I just get the right book deal and I get the right publisher and I get the TV deal, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, or you know, if I just get signed to the right record label and have the right record producer and, oh my God, I'm working with so-and-so. And we see this a lot of, of people making these big announcements on social media of, oh, look, I'm working with so-and-so, look, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's a fine line because on one hand, you know, you want to celebrate people's accomplishments. At least I do. You know, the people in my life who are doing well, they're really joyful about the, what they're doing. You know, I'm not going to be the person to be like, oh, you know, you, you got a record deal and, and you're, you know, Pharrell is your producer. I'm not going to poo-poo that. But I think it's really, really crucial to look at the mentality of undoing this, of all I need to do is is work with this one person, have this thing happen. And we see a lot of examples too, Whitney, of those kind of things happening, right? Getting the big record deal, getting the big book deal, getting the right producer, the right publisher, a million examples again. And all of the pieces seem to be in place, right? All the things we've dreamed about, we've planned, we've envisioned, all that stuff. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in being attached to the result, right? Like if I get A, B, C, and D, and all these things are lined up in a particular way, then on paper, it should equal this level of success, this thing, right? And I think the danger is mentally, we have to realize that expectations and thinking that if we check enough boxes or check them in the right order or work with the right people or have the right mentor, again, a million different examples of this, then we're going to automatically get the result we want, which is usually fame, money, influence, success. But it doesn't always work that way because we've, we've certainly seen enough examples of authors, celebrities, entertainers, musicians checking off the proverbial boxes and the results aren't what they thought they would be. And so I think comes down to like, what are we really motivated by? Are we motivated by the results? Do the results have to be a particular way for us to keep being motivated? Or is there a way to be motivated by, as cliche as it might sound, the process, the process of creation, the process of self-exploration, the process of becoming more self-aware and knowing ourselves more through those channels, right? And to your point, Whitney, this is not easy work because we're conditioned to chase notoriety, fame, success, money, and think that if I just line everything up, it'll happen. But then if it doesn't, we have the possibility of being completely shattered by it. So I think the question is, if we're going to look at our motivations and really take a good hard look at ourselves, instead of being motivated by specific outcomes or concrete results, what's a more sustainable motivation? To me, that's the question I'm sitting with right now. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious what, you know, when I, when I bring that up to you, what do you, what do you feel motivated right now by, by right now in your life? 
It's interesting because I'm definitely in a stage of, which is hard to admit, and I guess I'm trying to think of a different word because I don't want to use the word hustle. I don't have great associations with the word hustle. And I, you know what? The more I think about this in this moment, I, I don't really feel like what I'm doing is hustling. I'm just doing a lot at once. So I'm. it's more like I'm juggling. <laughs> I've taken on a lot. It's exciting. I feel like I'm getting into different flow states, I suppose. And I'm feeling lit up by a lot of different elements of my life right now. And, and so I have extreme motivation. I mean, I'm in this stage of like, getting energy from places I didn't even know it existed, you know, and at the same time need to work a a bit more on my well-being because sometimes when I get into these flow states, I think like I put my well-being goes by the wayside, you know, like I noticed this last night. I got really excited after we did this dolphin tank clubhouse and and my brain was like going a mile per minute. I had so much energy again, like earlier that day before that clubhouse and and some other things I had done, I was drained beyond belief. And I I didn't even know how I was going to make it through the end of the day. But I had a phenomenal client meeting. And then I did that clubhouse. And it was like energy up the wazoo for hours and hours afterwards. And that's part of how I'm indicated when I'm in the flow states. Like, okay, this feels so fantastic. I have, um, as Brendan Burchard would say, the 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 power plant doesn't make energy; it generates it, or ha- it doesn't have energy; it generates it. I forget his exact words, but I, I've always loved that statement. It's like sometimes we are generating energy from places in in ways that we didn't ever realize were there. If that makes sense, that happened to me last night. But the the downside of that, Jason, is that I didn't go to bed early enough. And I didn't set myself up for a successful night of sleep. So I didn't sleep very well. I need more unwind time. I need more disconnection time. I need ultimately adding in the meditation, as I mentioned. I'm, I'm trying to be better about doing yoga and, and my decisions last night to focus so much on getting things done for my career had a massive ripple effect that I'm still dealing with in this moment because I didn't sleep well. I overslept a bit because I was trying to catch up on the sleep I missed from the earlier part of the night. I slept through my alarm. I woke up an hour and a half later than I wanted to. I, as a result, wasn't able to fit in yoga yet, didn't do my meditation. And much of this day has felt like trying to catch up and, and compensate for all that. That's not great. I don't want that. So I would say I'm feeling incredibly motivated. I'm feeling really satisfied with how things are going for me business-wise. But a huge part of this conversation and a note that we can kind of end on for food for thought is we need to prioritize and find balance in our well-being. Yesterday also was reflecting a lot on like what it must be like to be a parent. Like because on days like that, for me, I don't have children. I have very little responsibility beyond my personal choices. And that gives me a lot of of flexibility in my time and my schedule. And I was thinking, gosh, like, I don't know how I would be a parent right now. And I know so many parents struggle with this. Time is an ongoing thing. And and parenting, I think, is very similar to business in the sense where a lot of parents struggle to take care of their own well-being because parenting is a full-time job. And so my heart goes out to you as a listener, whether this is resonating with you on a personal or professional level, well-being needs to be a priority. Otherwise, we'll burn out. And well-being is simultaneously hard to make a priority because our brains are constantly 
trying to do all of these things and trying to satisfy these needs and and fulfill our purposes in life. And I guess right now, Jason, I feel motivated to find more balance in my life. And that's got to be a very intentional practice for me. It doesn't just come easily all the time. I appreciate you sharing that, Whitney. And you know, for me, I think that my motivation right now is to get much more clear about my aim in life. I have been communicating to my mentor, Michael, and some other friends that I feel like for the first time in two decades, really, I don't really have a clear aim. And I think that for me, clarity and having a very purposeful, clear aim is definitely my primary motivation right now. So for you, dear listener, we always love hearing from you. We love getting your emails. We've gotten some great feedback recently on some episodes and our weekly newsletters. And if you want to comment on what your motivation is or you want to weigh in on this conversation, we love hearing from you. So send us an email at hello at wellevator.com. And for any of the resources and books and quotes and anything we've mentioned in today's episode, you can access all of those in our show notes and our transcripts, which again are at our website, which is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section in the upper right corner of the global navigation, and you will go to the show notes for this episode about motivation and all of our previous episodes. And we also have some incredible free resources we'd love for you to access. We have some incredible eBooks about self-love, self-care, purpose, consistency. We have some great programs. So check all of that out at wellevator.com. And to go back to the beginning of this episode, if you are on Clubhouse or you find yourself on Clubhouse soon, you can find Whitney and myself. My handle is at Jason Robel. And what's yours again, Whitney, on Clubhouse? It's at Wit Lauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. That's my username that I am moving into away from Eco Vegan Gal. So you'll see that on TikTok, on Clubhouse, and newly on Instagram as well. There it is. So you can connect with us on a variety of platforms in a variety of ways. We love your feedback. We love your comments. We love your reviews. We love your jokes. If you have any dad jokes, any kind of jokes at all, we love those. Comedy is, I think, making the chaos much more palatable. So with that, we appreciate you getting uncomfortable with us today or getting comfortable. I don't know. Maybe this idea of motivation made you feel super comfortable. We don't know. That's why we love your feedback. So until next time, dear listener, we love you. We appreciate you. We're glad you're with us. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.